If you'll take your Bible and open it, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number four. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the page number for 2 Timothy like normally, but I can tell you this, it's right after 1 Timothy. How's that? That's where 2 Timothy is. It's right after 1 Timothy, and this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was beheaded. He's in a Roman prison writing this letter, and he's writing it to a young man named Timothy who had been his assistant for all these years. And, and at the first of this letter, Paul says to Timothy, in fact, if you look back in verse chapter number one, go to 2 Timothy chapter number one, and in verse number seven, Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Evidently, Timothy was a worrier. Evidently. We read in this passage that sometime Timothy had a little problem with his stomach. Maybe that was caused by anxiety or stress. Maybe he had an ulcer. We don't know. But Timothy was a worrier. And so as Paul is writing this last letter that he would write, and probably knowing this was his last letter, he knew that his death was imminent. And he starts out by saying, now, Timothy, you don't need to be afraid. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. He's trying to encourage Timothy. Now, go to chapter 4, because here Paul comes to the end of this letter. And Paul says something very interesting in verse number 7. He's now reflecting on his own life, and not his life, not only his life, He's reflecting on his impending death. He knows that the end is near. In fact, in verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. The time of my death. Paul said, I've come to the end. I'm about to die, Timothy. I'm about to step out into eternity. I'm about to go to heaven. I'm about to see Jesus face to face, but you'll still be here. And after I'm gone, you have work to do. And so don't be afraid, be strong, be confident, be courageous that God is with you and that God has a plan for your life. But in verse 7, Paul gives kind of what I would call a summary of his whole life. And he's looking back on these 30 plus years that he's been a Christian. And he's thinking about uh, all those experiences that he has had and all those times he's been beaten and thrown in jail and now he's locked up and all the times that, that he's faced difficulty in his life since he gave his life to Christ. And he says in verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so Paul comes to the end and he comes to the end with no regret. Because he says, looking back on it, I've done what God told me to do. Now, from that verse, we learn three things about the Christian life. We learn, first of all, that the Christian life is a battle. He said, I have fought the good fight. The Christian life is not a picnic. The Christian life is a battle. He said, I have fought the good fight. And we also learn that the Christian life is a race. Notice what he said, I have finished the race. In Hebrews, we read a similar thing. Uh, He says, Paul uh, Paul didn't write Hebrews probably, but somebody else did. And he says, as we're running this race, we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so the challenge for us today, same challenge Paul had, same challenge Timothy had. We have to view the Christian life as a race, and we have to find a lane that we can run in, and that we can run in with ease, and that we can run in with an anointing. You know, that's easier said than done, to find your lane in life. I'm one of those guys that uh, 
I, when I wake up in the morning, I have a goal. Now, I'm not wound up as tight as my dad, okay? Now, I won't just say that. I always say that, um, you know, you've heard of a type A personality. I always say my dad is a triple A personality. He's triple A. He's like the triple A battery. Well, I'm like an A minus, somewhere like that. But none, even at an A minus, I have things I want to do and things I want to accomplish. And sometimes God just has to say to me, slow down. You're trying to do too much. You're getting out of your lane. You're trying to do more than I've intended you to do. And Paul said, I found my lane and I ran my race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And then he says, I have kept the faith. Now that says to me, the Christian life is a struggle. What is he implying when he says, I have kept the faith? What is the obvious implication? The implication is he could have lost it. Not he couldn't have lost his salvation, but he could have lost very much of his faith. I mean, not his saving faith. Saving faith, you don't lose that. But he could have lost his faith that God is in control, that God brings good out of bad, that God never forsakes us, that, uh, you know, he could have lost his, for all, for all practical purposes, Paul could have lost his faith, and yet he says, here, I haven't lost my faith. I have kept the faith. It's a picture, like, let's just let this Bible here be our faith. And so Paul is saying, as I ran that race, as I was in that battle, as I was having that struggle, it's like the devil was trying to pull my faith away from me. But I just kept pulling that faith back. I kept the faith. I didn't let the devil take my faith away from me. And some of you here today may feel like that. You say, you know, John, man, this is that introduction of the sermon, and you're telling me the Christian life is a battle? Man, I'm in a battle. It's a race. I'm in a race, and I can't find my lane. And it's a struggle. I feel like there are forces at work to pull my faith away from me. Well, you need to be like Paul, and you need to keep your faith, and you need to keep on trusting God no matter what happens, and so do I. So now, as I, said, as I was thinking about that verse today, I was thinking about, let's just narrow that in, and let's just focus on the Christian life is a race, and we have to find our lane and at the end of the race, there, there's not a finish line like we think of, but at the end, well, there is a finish line, but at the end of the race, more than breaking the tape, stands Jesus. And at the end of the race, we're going to see him face to face. And we want to finish our race like Paul finished his race with no regret, able to say, I have fought the good fight. I was faithful in the battle. I have run the good race. I found my lane. I kept my focus on Jesus. I didn't quit. And I have kept the faith. When everything in, uh, in, in hell, when everything that Satan had, when, when all the things were coming against me to pull my faith away, what did I do? I kept my faith tight and I held my faith strong and I said, Lord, I want to keep my faith. So the question is, how can we run like that? How can we not only run like that, but how can we finish like that with no regret and a strong focus on Jesus Christ. So it's an interesting thing. On Sunday during church, we had a Haitian pastor from Boston who was here, wonderful, godly man. And Tom Gamble and my dad interviewed him. And it was a tremendous interview, learning about the church in Boston, learning about how this man from Haitia felt called into the ministry as a young teenager and followed that call and how God's using Now it's an interesting thing. And so I was just listening to the, I had zero responsibility Sunday morning, but I was just sitting there listening to this. I listened to it at the first service and I listened to it at the second service. And while I was listening to it the second time, I already heard it once. And so I was listening, but I was also, when you hear something for the second time, you can apply. It's kind of like going to Israel. I've been seven times and 
your second trip is more meaningful than your first trip. Your first trip's great, but your first, at least for me, my first time to Israel, it was so overwhelming, I never knew where I was. And so before I went back, I got a map, and I said, I got to figure this out. So my second time, it made more sense. Well, the second sermon, I'm kind of listening, but I'm also applying it to my life in, in a little different way. And just during that service, it was like God said to me, not audibly like I'm speaking, but in my heart, it was like God said to me, John, I have given you some divine blessings in your life. And these divine blessings that I've given to you are intended to not only encourage and strengthen you, but they're intended to settle you and to root you and to stabilize you so that as you run that race, you can run that race the right way. And I'm just thinking about that during the sermon on Sunday. I guess you could say I was daydreaming in the second service during their dialogue. But I was daydreaming based on what they were saying. And it's like God said to me, and I'm, he, he gave me five things, some, three of them during the service and two of them later on that afternoon. And I'm going to mention some of those today. I'm not going to mention all of them because one of them especially applies uniquely to me. But it's like God said to me, John, when you're running the race, here's what you need and here's what I've given you. And I want to just develop this just for a moment today. He said, first of all, I have given you a divine peace. And I'm telling you, in the battle of life, on the race of life, in the struggle of life, when the devil's trying to pull your faith away, you need a divine peace. And I felt like God said, I've given you that. And I'm so thankful. And then it's like God said, not only that, I've given you a divine purpose in life so that you don't have to live your life trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and going around finding yourself and have a crisis after crisis. I've told you, I've shown you how to live your life and you have a purpose and that purpose keeps you anchored and focused. And as you run that race, you have that clear purpose. And I thought, well, I do have a purpose in life. And then it was like God said, not only that, I've given you a divine presence that I am with you all the time. I'm with you night and day. You're never alone. And sometimes we feel alone. And sometimes, humanly speaking, we are alone. But it's like God said, you're never alone. You have me with you, a divine presence. And then another thing as the day went on, it was like God said, and I've given you a divine promise. And he gave me a specific promise when I was feeling this in my heart. And I'm going to give a different promise today for our purposes here. But I want us to just think about those four words that start with a P. A divine peace, a divine purpose, a divine presence, and a divine promise so that if we have these in our lives, we can run that race and fight that battle. Now, what I want to do, I want to very quickly give you a scripture verse for each one of those and to, to demonstrate how you can have peace. Now, first of all, when we think about peace, there are lots of different kinds of peace. There's peace with ourselves, there's peace with one another, there's peace within, between nations, there's world peace, there's all these different things. But the first most fundamental peace that we have to have to experience these other pieces is to have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul said, having been justified by faith, trust in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's peace with God. And then there's the peace of God in Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God your needs. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. And the peace of God, the peace of God that transcends, transcends all your mind and heart will, will comfort you and guard you and so on. The peace of God. Peace with God is what we get when we get saved. Pe the peace of God is what we need out there in life when difficulties happen and when the bottom falls out. And it's, it's, the peace, it's the peace of God. You can have peace with God and say, I'm saved and I know that I'm saved. 
and not be having the peace of God. The peace of God is a tranquility and a calmness in the middle of whatever might be going on. It works in the emergency room. Works in the hospital. It works in whatever situation in life. It's the peace of God. And so a divine peace, I often quote when I think about peace, Isaiah 26, 3, where Isaiah said to God, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. And so it's like God said, John, this is one of the things through the years, through your time in Pasadena, the greatest thing I've taught you is that if you will trust me, you can experience peace, peace with me, the peace of me, the same peace that I have. And because of that, you can fight this battle and you can run this race and you can keep your faith and have this, you can have victory in the struggle. So it's divine peace and that's what you need. And the way we have that is just to trust Jesus. Well, whatever we're worried about, we turn that around and we say, I trust the Lord with that. So that's number one. And then we have a divine purpose. In Philippians chapter one, Paul is in a Roman prison. And in the 21st verse of that first chapter, he says, he gives his purpose statement in one verse. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say that together. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wasn't trying to figure out what his purpose was. He said, my purpose is to, is Jesus, is to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to honor Jesus. Here, Paul in Philippians was in another Roman prison. Now think about this. He wasn't trying to get out of his situation. He was trying to honor God in his situation. I was on the phone with someone this morning, with two people this morning, and I was encouraging them. They're in a tough situation. And I said to them, listen, The wisest thing, if you're asking my advice, which they were, I said, the wisest thing for you to do right now is not to try to figure out how to get out of this mess. The wisest thing is to try to figure out how to honor God in this mess. And our purpose is to know Christ. So we have that divine purpose to know Christ, to serve Christ, to make make him known. And then not only that, we have his presence. In fact, you're in 2 Timothy and you're in verse uh, chapter 4. Look down in verse 16. Paul said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. And then in verse 17, Paul says this, but the Lord stood with me. He's saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, I know you're prone to worry. That's why I told you not to be afraid. But remember this, as life goes on, you may go through what I went through. And what I went through was the total abandonment of all of my friends And all the people I thought would stand by me at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And notice he's not bitter. He said, may it not be charged against them. Why was he not bitter? Because he was not focusing on who had abandoned him. He was focusing on who was still with him. And he said, but the Lord stood with me. And we have that presence that God is with us. And then on this race of life, We have not only those things, but we have a divine promise that whatever we encounter in life, Romans 8, 28, God's going to cause good to come out of it. And so it it gives us confidence. And and, and we don't have to get thrown off course and something happens out there and we think, oh man, now what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to keep running that race. You're supposed to stay in that lane, stay in that battle and hold on to your faith. Devil trying to pull it away. You keep that faith no matter what happens. Now you still listen? Say Amen. So last Wednesday night, I was telling our Wednesday night crowd about a situation, a friend of mine that I went to seminary with almost 30 years ago, and he was one of my closest friends in seminary. He and his wife, he married one of the sweetest girls I've ever met in my life, and the three of us occasionally would do things. We used to go to Dallas Mavericks games uh, when they used to play at Reunion Arena in Dallas. We were just good friends, and especially I was close to him. And I hadn't talked to him in a while, but a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, he called my office one day. 
And I got the little card later in the day. This man's called you and asked you to call him back. And so a day or two later, I called him. And when I called him, I missed him. I left him a message. And I thought, well, we've leaving each other messages. Well, he called me back a day or two later, and he said, hey, you got a few minutes to talk? I said, you caught me at a great time. Yes. I said, man, I hadn't talked to you in forever. I said, I just, I, I thought you fell off the earth. And he said, well, I basically did. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, John, he said, I, and he began to tell me his story. This man pastored a really good church up in the Dallas area and had a great ministry going there. And I, I, there was no moral, nothing happened morally, but something happened in the church where he got very discouraged and very down and he ends up leaving the church and he, it kind of put him into a depression. And in fact, he got so down that he, he went to law school. And he got a law degree. And for the last 10, 15 years, he's been practicing law as a trial attorney. He's won over 100 cases. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And I really didn't know all this. And he's just telling me his story. And, and, I, and he's telling me about this depression he was in. And he said, John, I was so low that my wife and my kids, they would just, I would get home in the evening and I would just sit in my chair and I would just look at the TV and I was just depressed. And he said, my wife and my kids said, you've got to snap out of this. All you ever do is talk about what you used to do and where you used to preach. This guy's preached everywhere. He's preached for Adrian Rogers at Bellevue. I mean, he's preached everywhere. And, uh, but he said, I just couldn't snap out of it. And I said, man, I feel awful. If I'd have known you were going through this, I would have called you and tried to encourage you. He said, I wouldn't have taken your call because I'm not taking anybody's calls. I was down. I was depressed. And he said, one of the things, one of the people that helped me the most was Dr. Ed Young at Second Baptist Houston. He preaches for Dr. Young sometime. In fact, he has within the last year preached for him now that he's kind of come through all that. And he called Dr. Young one day in the middle of all this or towards the end of that 10-year period and just tell him how down and discouraged he's been. And Dr. Young said, well, I've had you on my mind. I'm glad you called today. He said, let me ask you a question. Now, you know, if you've ever heard Dr. Young preach, he's very creative and very, uh, very strong preacher. He said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a giraffe be born? And my friend said, no, sir, I've never seen a giraffe. I've never seen a giraffe be born. He said, you need to go home and Google. You need to, you need to look this up on YouTube, the birth of a giraffe. He said, well, Dr. Young, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, but I don't understand how this is going to help me, this depression I'm going through right now. He said, here's how it's going to help you. He said, when you pull that up on YouTube, you're going to find out that when a giraffe is born, the first thing that happens is that the mother giraffe kicks the baby giraffe. Because when the giraffe is born, that baby giraffe just laid out on the ground. And so that, ba- that mother goes over and kicks that baby giraffe. And that giraffe gets up and that giraffe stands tall. And Dr. Young said, but when you watch that, that Mama giraffe looks mean kicking the baby giraffe. And he said, well, why does, why does she do that? And Dr. Young said, because that mama giraffe knows if she doesn't kick her baby and help her baby to get up, that the lions and the tigers and the wild animals out there will destroy that giraffe, and that giraffe will never make it very long in life. And he said, well, Dr. Young, I'm going to look that up. I appreciate you telling me that. He said, yeah, but I told you that for a reason. He said, what's the reason? He said, because for about the last 10 years, I've been wanting to kick you. (laughs) And I've been wanting to say to you, get up. Something happened to you in that church. And whether somebody turned or whatever happened, happened. 
And I hate that it happened. And I hate that you got down. And I hate that you quit. And I hate that for 10 years, you know, you've just been in this, in this depressed state. And he said, but I tell you, I've seen you preach. You've been in our church. You've been a blessing to us down here. And he said, but you know, I felt like if I said that to you, it would come across too strong. But now that you've called me, I feel like I can say whatever I want to say. And I'm telling you, you need to get up. Now, as I was thinking about that again today, I, preached, I shared that last week. I was sharing that again today. You know, on the race of life, there we are running, running, running our race. And sometimes we get knocked down or sometimes we get pushed out of our lane or sometimes something happens or sometimes we look around at somebody else running and we think, well, God's blessing them better than he's blessing me. And we just let it maybe take our faith and cause us to slow down and may even cause us to drop out of the race and maybe even call us, cause us to just sit down and quit. And you know what God does in those moments? God's, God comes to us and God says to us, get up, get back in the race, get your eyes back on Jesus. The race is not over. The battle's not done. And God says, if you'll keep focusing on me, you, like Paul, can come to the end with no regret, no matter what happened in the race. It's not how we start. It's not even what happens. It's how we finish. And God says, if you'll get back in the race and keep your focus on me, at the end of your life, you can say, the Christian life was a battle, but with God's help, I fought the good fight. The Christian life was a race. I mean, it was a long race, but I finished the race. The Christian life was a struggle. There were times I thought I was going to lose my faith, but I didn't. I kept the faith. And now, in the next verse of this chapter, Paul says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord has not only for me, but also for all who have loved his appearing. Amen? Father, I think that's your word for us today, that we would get up if we've gotten out of the race that we would find our lane now and that we would run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, knowing that he will give us the strength to finish. This is my prayer today in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen.